everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CQP Moments. As always, I am your host, the Cuban Queen Pen. Have you ever wondered if your no was a serious no, or if you were going to be able to keep going? Well, my next guest, Cody, shows us that no isn't always no, and persistence is key. So, let's take a moment out, and I'll be right back with the King of Schmooze. So, guys, like I was saying, I have Cody Lowry here, and he seems to be the king of schmooze, which for those of you that don't know, schmooze is not something we think is okay, but he's saying it is. So Cody, please introduce yourself to my listeners. Well, Queen P, I'm delighted to uh, be talking to you. I'm calling you from uh, Tampa Bay, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I know you're up in New York City suffering with those New York Yankees. Um, <laughs> with, with that said, um, you know, I wrote a book, it's called Schmooze, What They Should Teach at Harvard Business School, and Hal Steinbrenner, owner of the Yankees, actually endorsed the book. So um, I've, I've got some uh, connections up there, if you will. Oh, you've, but, you've uh, got some big connections, huh? Well, Alan Dershowitz endorsed it, Hal Steinbrenner endorsed it, uh, Tim Gannon, who is uh, co-founder of Outback Steakhouse, and um uh, you know, several others. And it, it's a great book. It's a fun read. It's inspirational. And uh, to your to your uh, opening question, um, yeah, I've redefined the word schmooze because schmooze does take on a, a, a negative connotation. It's a Yiddish word. And it, it basically means to, you know, to glad hand in a friendly or persuasive manner to gain advantage. And what I've done is you know, I've uh, I've redefined redefined the word schmooze, and it's uh, uh, it works for the book. However, the sizzle of the book um, is, and you'll you'll see it in the in the cover of the book, and it's you know setting up a meeting with the president of the United States in one week, uh, getting a baseball signed by the Pope, carrying the torch in the Olympic torch relay. Um, uh, auditioning for Saturday Night Live within a uh, 48 hour period um, and, and several others, those kinds of things. And so that's kind of the sizzle. And then I get them into the, the book and uh, people love it. It's very funny. You know, I talk about uh, um, the things that I think are important and, and I tie them into my real life experiences. And, you know, one of them is persistence and that falls into the you know, the Saturday Night Live story, and maybe we'll have time to share that with, with your audience. Um, it, it's about a winning smile. It's about making a great first impression. It's about looking out for the other guy. And I learned that early on uh, when I was 11 years old, selling papers for the Miami News and in, wow. in uh, Fort Lauderdale. I've got an interesting, uh, my, my, uh, my background, you, you've already, you've always heard the, the rags to riches story. Right. Right. Mine is, mine is just the opposite. I went from riches to rags and, oh, wow. uh, yeah, so that's, um, uh, an interesting story and we'll get into that, 
but it's about being a contrarian. It's about stepping outside. I call it about stepping outside of your schmooze zone. Um, it, it's, it's, about, um, it's about schmoozing from the podium and, and the importance of being able to get up and, and speak you know, to a group of people, whether you're pitching a product or, or you know, you're at, you know, you're an MC or whatever, but knowing how to do it. I've seen some, some, some executives at very high levels that, that have fumbled at the podium and they did so for a lot of reasons, right. not the least of which is, you know, they weren't prepared. Um, so it, it's about paying a compliment. It's about appreciating. And, um, you know, that, the, the publisher did um, uh, 25 different attributes. I'm not going to go over all of them, but uh, um, it's, it's jam-packed with uh, real life experiences. You know, I look at a lot of things and it, it all seems to be uh, digital driven, you know, and it's uh, everybody's, you know, copying everybody. Well, this book, Schmooze, uh, what they should teach at Harvard Business School is, is real life. And as Alan Dershowitz said, um, you know, take it from a guy who graduated from the school of hard knocks and, mm. um, you know, so it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful book. And, and, um, I, I could start off with, uh, that, uh, rags to, uh, riches, riches to rags, uh, grow. Um, well, I, I'm really curious. Life. I'm really curious. What, yeah, made so, you, what made you say, Hey, I have to write a book because, you know, in, in school, a lot of people get speech classes and I'll be real. That is not the most comfortable thing to do, to get up in front of a whole bunch of people, even if you know them, even if you've been in school with these people and speak. So what made you say, okay, this is something they don't teach in school. This is something they should be teaching at Harvard, but they don't. Right. So Nito Quibang, who wrote the foreword to the book, said, and I quote, he says, we live in the most connected society in the history of the world, and yet we are more disconnected than ever before. And so when you, when you look at my journey, and I'm still on my journey, by the way, but when you, when you look, at, look at my journey and the, and the things that you know, I've done and, and, um, uh, and the accomplishments that I've had, you know, I owe it a lot to schmooze and my definition of schmooze. And it's, uh, it's about persistence. It's about building relationships. And, you know, I, I think when these, um, when these young people go out into the marketplace for the first time, you know, they, they really don't understand that. I've done sales seminars and I tell people, don't make a sale, build a relationship. You build a relationship, you get the customer to trust you, and then you never let them down. In my business, um, and I'm in, a, I'm in the advertising business, I'm still in the advertising business, um, we have clients that have been on the books for over 30 years. And the only way I did that was to put in my, what I call the secret sauce as, as it relates to, you know, to building relationships. But how did I decide to write a book? So um, to your question, I have been, uh, you know, I, I grew up with a lampshade on my head, so that didn't hurt. I, um, <laughs> I, I was in, uh, I was in the, um, I'm in the advertising business, um, and I, I, I'm the pitch guy, make the creative pitches. I, um, I also did stand up comedy, 
And um, additionally, when I was, when I just graduated from college, I got in the automobile business and that's a crazy story, but, um, and this isn't in the book. Um, I was a general sales manager and I had to get 50 salesmen every morning at eight o'clock in the morning um, in a little tiny room. And that's when they smoked in those rooms. So I couldn't stand it. Um, and I had, a, I had a motivator. I called it motivate, one of eight, activate. I had to get them going. You know, I had to get them charged up. And Mr. Abraham, who is the owner of the dealership, he said, Cody, we don't know where these guys have been the night before, but we got to get them up in the morning and get them in there. And so, mm. you know, I, I um, this is before the advent of the, the internet. And in, in my office, I had all kinds of motivational books. So, you know, my meeting was eight. I got to the dealership around 630 to seven and I prepared a meeting. And so that that was uh, that was good training, if you will. Um, uh, and hopefully that that answers your your, your question. Yes, yes. Now you're saying you went from riches to rags, and we know that it's often the opposite. What, right. what, what happened? Tell me about this. You're not going to believe it. You won't believe it when I tell you, for God's sakes. Um, so <laughs> there's a high school in Detroit, and it's named after my grandfather, Frank Cody High School. He was superintendent of schools in Detroit for... 30 years. He was the wow. first president of Wayne State University. And um, when my mother was growing up, um, while he didn't, he didn't have, you know, a, a millionaire salary, he was wired in that town with the Fords and Fishers, a Fisher body and, and what have you. And my mom uh, led a, a very wonderful uh, childhood and adolescence and you know, went on to finishing school and made her debut and, um, you know, all those kinds of things. She married my father, Emery. Um, they met, they were both camp counselors. Doesn't this start off really nice? They were both camp counselors. At, I know, this at, sounds like at, a movie. Yeah, yeah. We should, you know what? Maybe we'll do that. Well, you and I'll team up. We'll make a movie out of this because you're right. It's a pretty good opening story, huh? So, yeah. Hey, we're, they were camp counselors at a camp called Camp Chicopee. They both were swim counselors and they met and they fell in love and, and um, you know, they got married. And I, I can tell you, I look at the wedding pictures now and it looks like something, it, look, it looks like a royal wedding. I mean, everybody's in black ties and the cake is bigger than the room, you know, one of those things. And um, it, it was... Um, you know, looking at those pictures today and I, you know, I'm in a circle where I go to a lot of weddings. I, I haven't seen, um, you know, these, uh, you know, the, these kind of uh, events where they, they had a wedding like my mom and dad had, but in any event, they got married and uh, they didn't have a big inheritance, but they had enough to get them going and charge. And so they had uh, four kids and, when I was about five and I was uh, uh, in the middle there um, and they, we were all pretty close. So it was, um, it was four, five, six, seven, right? Uh, then they moved to Florida and uh, my dad was, uh, you know, he thought of himself as a pretty good uh, business guy and he got invested in all kinds of things. It didn't work out. Um, they both, um, 
got to a point in their lives where they went to the bottle and they both became alcoholics. Tell you just like it is. And within a seven year period, within a seven mile radius, we moved 32 times. We actually wait, wait, wait. You did yeah, 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 32 yeah. times? 32 times, seven years. Wow. My, I, I, people ask me, why do you do that? And I, I said, well, I guess my dad thought it was cheaper than paying the rent, which he did. I mean, we actually moved on Christmas Day. I can remember coming home from my school with my little brother one day. And um, guess what? We didn't live there anymore. There were locks on the door. What do oh, we wow. do? You know, we, we went to the local park and waited around until it got dark. And then, you know, here came dear old dad stumbling and picked us up and, you know, off we went to our new home. We didn't know where the heck that was, that was going to be. And then it was, it was, uh, and then dad left, right? I'm about nine and, and he leaves. And um, my mom for the first time in her life has got to go to work uh, with no help from Detroit. And she, you know, she she becomes. Uh, I say she becomes. She she works as a classified ad girl at the Fort Lauderdale News. She's a hostess at uh, Creighton's Restaurant, home of the world's best apple pie. And she, um, you know, she works for the first time. We have Saint Vincent's de Paul, you know, delivering food on on the holidays. Everybody asked me what my favorite saint was. Well, it was Saint Vincent de Paul because. He was always there for me. Uh, we got government food. We had the lights turned out. We had we had rats in the house. Our, our, the last house I can remember um, was on Andrews Avenue. And I say I can remember. I can remember almost all of them. Um, it was, uh, you know, maybe 700 square feet. And, um, you know, there was, at the time, there was, uh, there was five of us. My, my sister left, so... Uh, little later on but you know it was it was a little place and you know but one of the things that my mother did do and I mean she was such an inspiration to myself and my other siblings she she had the wherewithal even after a a few uh bourbons to try to instill in us um the fact that we could go on and we could be anything we wanted in this, nothing in this world, nothing was going to hold us back. And she used to, um, you know, probably step across the line and tell a little white lie, but she said, you kids, we may not have anything now, but you know, you've got blue blood running through your veins and you can hang out with the, with the attorneys and the doctor's kids and you'd be proud and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know what? Uh, we all kind of took on that attitude. And, you know, I've got uh, three other siblings who are very successful in different walks of life. But, you know, I was a kid that was supposed to fall through the cracks and I didn't. And I and I and I credit that uh, to my mother at age 11. um, If uh, uh, you'll allow me to continue here. Sure, um, go ahead, go ahead. I had I had to um, go out and really find out what the, the work was all about, where I could get paid. And so I sold papers for the Miami News uh, in Fort Lauderdale, it's the Sunrise Shopping Center. And uh, it, was, uh, it, it, was a, it was a big uh, moment in my life because I, I learned two things 
Uh, actually, I learned th three things. Number one, no doesn't necessarily mean no. I learned the, the power or, or the importance of persistence. And then third, I really, really got a big jolt and I think it affected me my whole life. I learned to look out for the little guy, right? And in the book, the readers mm -hmm. will see, you know, four or five uh, stories in there where I'm in a situation and, you know, I'm there for these, these people. So um, first, uh, the Miami News. It's sold in Fort Lauderdale. And it is what you might call today a fish wrapper because it was so thin, you know, hardly looked like a newspaper. Right, um, right. On Saturdays uh, or on, on Monday through Friday after school, I'd hustle over there and they'd give me like 15 or 20 papers and, and I'd sell my papers. On, on Saturday, I'd get there at nine o'clock in the morning and they'd give me, you know, more papers uh, to sell. Um, in one case, they gave me 50 papers, and which was crazy. Um, and that kind of leads into uh, my looking out for the little guy. But in any event, um, I was selling the Miami News. And, and you talk about persistence, you know, the, the right. newspaper, the newspaper was was only a, uh, a nickel, right? And I made I made two cents on every paper. So I knew I'd have to rely on tips. And then I would have right. to sell my papers to generate those tips. So people walk by and say, Miami News, sir, Miami News, ma'am. This is the Blue Street Edition. They could care less if I had the Blue Street Edition. They didn't want the Blue Street Edition and they didn't want the Miami News, right? So um, when they'd walk by and I'd say, and imagine yourself walking by me, okay? And, okay. I, and I say to you, I say, paper ma'am, Blue Street Edition, Miami News, latest news. And you just kind of ignore me. You keep walking by, I say, ma'am, would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, and how many birthdays you've had? Well, you would do what most people did. They turn around and they look at me and they right. go, all right, I give, you know, for a nickel, I'm in. What is it? And I'd say, you got your shoes on your feet. You were born in the state of infancy and you've only had one birthday the day you were born. And they always oh left with a nice little <laughs> chuckle and a, and a newspaper that they didn't really want. Wow, so, um, wow. you know, I, I learned the importance of persistence. I learned that no doesn't necessarily mean no. And then getting to the, the my third point and, and really looking out for the little guy. And um, sometimes this even brings a tear to my eye. I'm going to control myself today. But one Saturday... I go to uh, the sunrise to the, the center and my, my uh, boss is there and he's got 50 papers. I usually sell 35 papers on a Saturday and it's okay. a, it's a big deal to sell 35. And now he gives me 50. He says, well, you sell out every Saturday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just see how, how you can do. So he talked me into it and off I went selling the Miami news. Right. And uh, I'd walk up and down this mall. And I guess the mall was probably, I don't know, um, not quite a quarter of a mile, but it was long. And it okay. was the mall, you know, in, in right. South Florida. Now it's called the, the Galleria. And, uh, but anytime, at that time it was called the, the uh, Sunrise Shopping Center. So okay. I, um, 
I, uh, that Saturday I walked and I talked to more people than you could possibly imagine. And sometimes I get the same people up twice and get out of here. You already did that deal with me. You know, one of those things. And, um, it was getting late. It was around five 30 at night. And, um, I had about 12 papers left and I was gonna, I was ready to go home. And I said, well, maybe I can sell these at one of two places. And um, one of them was Wolfie's, uh, which is a, a, a delicatessen across the street, a very busy street, by the way. And it's still busy. Oh, today. Wow. Okay. Or I could go to Nick's bar. Now I got to tell you, uh, Nick was one hell of a guy. I would walk in and he'd go, Hey kid. And he'd say, here he is. From the Miami Herald, who wants to buy a Herald? Well, the Miami Herald was a competing paper. He didn't care wh what I was selling. He said, who wants to buy a paper? And more times than not, I'd walk out of Nick's bar with whatever newspapers I have left. He'd get his patrons to, you know, buy them. Well, this particular night, I was, I was a lot closer to Wolfie's, and all I had to do was negotiate my way across the street. And... I walked across the street and as I'm walking through the parking lot, looking up at the, the storefront of the restaurant, um, I almost can't believe my eyes. There is an older gentleman selling the Miami Herald um, in oh front gosh. of Wolfie's. And, and I might tell you that the Miami Herald, and I know you're up in New York, it, at the time it was twice as big as the New York Times. And I mean, it was, oh, wow. it, yeah. And so he was selling he was selling the early edition of the um, Sunday Miami Herald, and I was selling the Saturday Blue Street edition Miami News. It was almost laughable that anybody would want to buy a Miami News when there was a Herald. Right, but right. So and especially the next day's paper. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I... Um, I decide that, you know what, I'm not going to walk over next. I'm going to see what I can do here. So I, I parked myself maybe about 12 feet, you know, adjacent to him on the other side of the door. And, you know, like I said, he's got the paper stacked up. People are coming out and they all want the Herald. He doesn't have to say a word to anybody. And I'm trying to get some of his customers. And, you know, I'm a little kid, you know, I go, Miami News, Blue Street Edition. I mean, nobody's giving me the time of day. I'm there about I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I'm getting no takers. I'm getting really tired because I've been there since about nine o'clock and getting really dark. And I decide that, you know what, I'm just going to pack up my papers. And I didn't sell all 50 papers, but, you know, I did my best. And as I'm picking up my papers, this man, he comes my way, he comes blowing out very quickly outside the, um, the restaurant and walks right by me. I say, and I just, you know, my last gasp of the day, Miami News, sir, Blue Street Edition. And he just keeps walking. And I start walking in his direction at a fast pace. And I said, sir, would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, how many birthdays you've had? He turns around so abruptly, I thought he was going to hit me. But he oh, had gosh. a certain kindness to his face. And he looked down at me and he said, son, how many papers do you have left? And I said, I have 12, sir. He said, that's exactly how many I want. And then I want you to go home. 
And I got to tell you, to this day, that story has, um, I'll never forget it, obviously. And, it, and, it, and it's had an impact on me. And I, I think um, it's, it's one of the reasons that, and, and you'll read it in the book, about why it, it's so important to, you know, really look out for the little guy. We, you know, today we see street people and, you know, right. we, we shun them. And I say, we shun them. I don't. And I actually feel guilty if I don't have a, you know, a five dollars in my pocket to give them. And, um, but you know, the the uh, the statistics on the deal is that that almost eighty six percent of them they're not they're not trying to hustle us. They're hungry. Okay, they're really hungry. Right, right. And That's true. So, um, you know, I'm always um, uh, looking out for the little guy, and I I can tell you a, a real quick story. It's a, my wife and I were in Charleston with the three kids. And at the time they were, um, they were five, six, and seven. We were going up to see, um, her in-laws or, or my in-laws, I guess. And I didn't know I had kinfolk from West Virginia, but, um, I did. <laughs> I love the way you said and, that. <laughs> uh, they were really excited to see me. They didn't trust me. I looked like a city slicker to them. Right. So, but anyway, if you don't know anything about Charleston, well, they got one of the worst airports in the world and it, and it forever is closing down because if fog sets in, you cannot, uh, they, they can't fly out. You oh, know, it's, that's it's not, not good. It's like on a, on a hilltop and there's, it's 300 feet down all the way around it. So if fog uh, sets in, you know, you have to stay another day. So we, we booked a hotel and, uh, we were getting the little ones ready and it was, it was cold that night. Uh, we decided we'd go to this Mexican restaurant. It was probably five blocks away. So we started walking and um, I can't, I can't tell you that I never met a street person, but this goes back uh, many years, 25 years. And I, I, it, it wasn't as frequent as it is today. And, right, and so right. when I had somebody grab me on my shoulder and you could, and you could hear his hand on my shoulder. And I turned around and he said, uh, you got any money? I need some money, you know? And, and uh, I looked at him, I said, listen, you stay away. And I was very protective of my kids over the top, right? Stupidly, right? Now, not when I look back on it, but I, I really got in his face. I said, you get out of here, leave me alone and blah, 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 blah. And I, I think I got my point across because he, he hustled off someplace. I get to the, I get to the restaurant and I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? I feel bad the way I, um, acted with that guy. Right. I, I gave her my watch. I gave her all the, my wallet. I gave her, um, um, money that I had, uh, save about, you know, 40 bucks or whatever. And off I went to try to find this guy. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll be back in just a little bit. And she really didn't want me to go, but I did. And so I'm walking up this street and down this street and I look and there's two people sitting on a park bench and they've got a blanket around them. And yeah. it's uh, his girlfriend or significant other. And, and I kind of walk up to him from behind. I go, hey, and I turn around and he, he, he kind of cows, you know? And um, I said, Oh, everything's cool. I just, I just want to tell you, I apologize for the way I acted. I said, are you guys all right? And he still doesn't know if he should talk to me or not. And, um, I said, are you guys hungry? And they both lit up. Right. And I said, come on, let's go get something. 
And so I'm introducing myself and what have you. And uh, I was thinking about taking them back to the Mexican restaurant. And, and right, uh, the guy right. says, um, hey, there's a McDonald's across the street. I really like McDonald's. She said, I do too. And so we went in and um, she was first and she wanted two Big Macs, you know, the fries. And at the time they sold apple pie. I don't know if you remember those. We sold those little apple pies. And right. she said, I'll take an apple pie. I actually thought she was ordering for both of them. And, uh, and then he walked up. He said, I'll take the same. So, you know, they were really, really hungry. And not right. only do I, I remember this, but my kids remember this. My uh, younger son, Cody Jr., um, six months ago, brought it up. He said, I remember that. And um, so, you know, we, we got to remember when we go through life and, you know, nobody's on easy street. Everybody's got adversity in their life. And I don't care who you are or what right. you are. I got a, a guy that lives around the corner just got in a private plane crash and he's sitting in Tampa General Hospital now. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't look good for him. And, and so, you know, with that said, um, we, we got to always be looking out for uh, the little guy and, um, I don't want to center right. this whole no, but conversation. I, you know what? I have to say thank you because not too many people do that. Not too many people stop. You know, most people are like, you know, and, and I will say, especially here in New York, it's, it's a real thing of like, you know, I've got to get where I'm going. I, right. I, you know, and, you know, and, and you get more of the, get out of my face, you know, and, and I, and I see it all the time. I see it with people all the time. So I ha do have to say, thank you. Thank you for being that kind, because a lot of people don't think, Hey, you know what? This person is just hungry. This person may not have had anything to eat, not just today, but possibly yesterday. And they may not know when they're getting their next meal. And, right. you know, and, and it's one of those things of we're, we're, we're always saying we live in one of the most blessed countries in the world, but then we're, we're, we're sitting there when we see people that are down and out and it's like, you know what, I, I, I've got to make the next train. I've got to make the next bus. I've got to, I've got to catch this Uber. I, I have a meeting. I have things to do. And, sure. and that's the thing, but I, I really do have to say thank you, Cody. And thank you for instilling that in your children, because like you said, your son just brought it up six months ago. This was years ago. Right. This was right. years ago. So it did make an impact. And I'm pretty sure this is making an impact on some listeners that you may never see. <laughs> so right. thank you. Thank you so much for being oh, that welcome. person. Welcome. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you a lot. And one thing I do have to explain, guys, because I know I'm going to get questions about this with the early Sunday paper and the late Saturday paper before the invention of the internet, yeah. we didn't get news on time. So sometimes uh -huh. stories came out hours in advance. So yes, a Saturday, a, a Sunday paper would come out on Saturday, probably Saturday afternoon. And the good sellers would get their papers first, because for those of you that really, and, and I know most people that don't coupon still don't pay attention to this. But part of the paper is actually part of the Sunday paper is actually done on Thursday. 
So yeah, yeah. And, um, I, I think the New York Times comes out Saturdays too, doesn't it? The Sunday edition. Yeah, they put out a Sunday edition, which is like six bucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cheap. A little more than a, than my nickel Miami news. <laughs> but yes, thank you, thank you so much, Cody, because that you you don't know like that right there actually makes so much of a difference and that just goes to tell what type of person you are you know and I mean just listening to your story saying how you had to move 32 times how you had to endure so much and how your mom when she had what seemed like nothing and such adversity picked up and said, Hey, you know what I have to do for all of these little people that are depending upon me. And she still fought, found the time to instill and the braveness to instill in you. Hey, you know what? Just because you're here doesn't mean you have to stay here. You are as good or possibly even better than the rest of them. And I mean, you at 11 working a nine to five on a corner selling papers and learning firsthand the art of marketing the art of advertising because who would think to say yeah well if you buy this paper I can tell you what state you were born in it's like wait what yeah so you Oh my gosh. I I am sitting here. I have chills. I have goosebumps. I have like tears in my eyes. Thank you. Thank you for being such an amazing person. Oh, well, thank you. And um, I don't know how amazing I am, but um, yeah, I I learned it at an early age to, to schmooze and, and I don't know how much time we we have left, but one of the, one of the, the, uh, and I I'm doing a leadership deal with the, some CEOs next week. And I'm going to talk about persistence and how important that is in life and, and to, you know, really never, ever get a uh, give up. Okay. And um, I don't know if we still have time, uh, but I got a great story on, on persistence and how I auditioned for Saturday Night Live there in oh, New York. Oh, well, listen, okay, you're talking SNL. We always have time for SNL. So, Cody, go okay. for it. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, this, this is a great story in persistence. So, when you, when you go through the, the, the book, you'll see, you know, almost in every chapter, um, a lesson in persistence. It might be, um, it might be a, um, uh, a chapter on being a contrarian, but in the, in that chapter, you'll see how I've always been persistent, just like I was selling newspapers. So I'm in, um, I'm in Tampa, Florida. I'm in the automobile business and I'm, I'm do, I decide that I want to do stand up comedy. And the reason I want to do stand up comedy when it, you know, I was the, 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 the class clown, obviously, and in college, I was, I was in theater and I was in speech and I was uh, MC of this and MC of that. So, um, and I was, I was pretty funny, um, but um, in any event, I started doing stand-up comedy and, and back then, you know, you, you really, occasionally you had an honorarium, but it wasn't like today where you could really learn your craft and go to comedy clubs and what have you. 
But my wife and I um, decided that we were going to move to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and that's where I was going to learn my craft. And I was going to uh, make a lot of money as a stand-up comedian. And that was going to lead to all kinds of opportunities, acting and what have you. But I said, you know, I've never been to um, New York. I'd like to see, you know, what happens in New York. You know, if I can make it there, I'll make, you know. So I, um, <laughs> I tell my wife, uh, you know, I think it'd be a good idea if I went up there uh, to New York, like, like I have a lot of money, right? Which I didn't. And um, so we, we scrape up enough to get me up there and stay up there for about six days. And I get up there and the uh, first, first place I go, uh, first night I'm there, I go to the improv. And the improv was, is around uh, Hell's Kitchen up there. And I, I know it's not there today, but it was one of the first real big yeah. comedy clubs, right? Yeah. And so I, I went, and, and I'm not a guy that gets intimidated easily, uh, but I was there and it seemed like a pretty hip crowd to me. And I was, I was wondering if I actually belonged. And let me just say this to you. I had no business thinking that I could get up at uh, the improv or catch a rising star. I had a lot of talent. I probably had more talent than most of them that were making it big. But I, I was what you call raw talent, okay? I hadn't honed my act. I had enough to be in the big city, if you will. Okay. Um, but I was there and, and I made the most of it. The next night I go to Catch a Rising Star. Now, I mean, from John Bellucci um, to Freddie Prince to um, you know, just any comedian that you can can think of Larry David and, you know, that, that whole crew, that, that's where they all started out, Catch a Rising Star. So I went there that right. night, it was, it was pretty well crowded and uh, that's on the Upper East Side around uh, First Avenue and right. wherever it is. So I, um, I decide that, uh, you know, I'm gonna go there, see what happens. So I get there and, um, you know, there's a bunch of comedians waiting to go in, to get on. And uh, so I go up to the guy behind the bar and he, I tell him my story. I'm from, um, I'm from uh, Tampa, Florida. I'm a stand-up comedian and impressionist. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a few days and uh, I'd like to get up and, and do a couple minutes. And uh, I mean, he thought I was Jack Benny when I got done with him, right? So um, uh, he put me on. And I waited about an hour and a half and I'm watching some of the comedians, some good, some not so good. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm, I can do this. I can do this. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that girl. Actually, it was all guys at the time. And uh, so now I'm, I'm the next one up, right? And uh, um, somebody taps me on the shoulder and they said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let somebody go in front of you. Well, his name was Tom Dreesen. And your audience... Uh, may not remember his name, but he was on the Johnny Carson show. I think had more appearances on the Johnny Carson show right. than almost anybody in history. He opened for Frank Sinatra, you know, I don't know, a hundred times or what have you. So he was well-known, uh, very, his humor was very clean. And they said that Tom is going to uh, get on the, uh, he's going to be on the Tonight Show uh, tomorrow. And he wants to, you know, 
share some new material. So I said, oh, this is great. You know, it's like a surreal moment. I'm getting, I'm getting bumped by Tom Dreesen, right? So he gets out there and you could tell it's not going very good because this audience was rocking and rolling and now he's up there and it's not funny material. And, um, you know, we've all been in those, those situations. And well, not me, of course, but no, I'm kidding. And uh, so um, he finally just stops and mm. he puts the microphone back in the stand and he said, he said, I apologize for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. He says, it's obvious I have to get back to my uh, hotel room and, and uh, gear up for the night, night uh, the Tonight Show tomorrow. And, uh, and that's, that's what he, in fact, did. So then they, um, and now from Tampa, now, hey, get out there, get out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm full of energy and I'm, I've got, you know, some really unique, a fast sell on vasectomy for $14.95. And at the, at the time, vasectomy was say, like saying the F word, right? And uh, yeah, but anyway, pretty much. Went, yeah, so that went well. And, and um, I don't know how much time we have. So I'm just, uh, I want to jump to Saturday Night Live. So the next day I, I come up, I got a couple of days left. And I said, you know what? I said, I think I'll audition for Saturday Night Live. Think about that. I think I'll audition for Saturday Night Live, the number one comedy show in the world. I'm going to, you know, I got two days and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to audition oh for God. Saturday Night Live. And so I call Rockefeller Center where, you know, that's where they, they, they tape it. And I get a secretary right. on the phone and I've done my research. A guy by the name of John Head from England uh, is, is head of talent. And I asked for John Head. And guess what? It goes through to John Head. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, he gets on the phone and and now I'm pitching and I'm telling him about myself. And um, uh, and I said, you know, I think I could uh, um, really make a big impact uh, with the show. I said, I think I'm the only person right now, including Rich Little, that does Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter was on his way to becoming president. Uh, nobody was really doing any impressions of this guy, right? So um, uh, he, he listened to my whole spiel. And then he said, listen, he says, I'm busy right now. Give me, give me a call tomorrow around whatever. And let me see if we can't uh, get together. I didn't realize, I'm too naive at this point to know that I just got the brush off, right? So, ah. yeah. So the next day I call and I call and I call and I call. And I know I'm making a nuisance of myself, but I'm thinking this guy really wants me. And I said, I, I'm doing him a disservice. I got, I got to get a hold of him. You know, and then I thought, well, you know what? And this was before the advent of the cell phones. And I said, well, maybe he's listed in the book. Well, guess what? Lucky Cody. He's listed in, on Long Island. I call his house. He answers the phone. I know it's him. He's got an English accent, right? I said, Mr. Head, this is Cody Lowry. And there's a pause on the phone. He goes, you are unbelievable. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> he says, he said, uh, let's get together, you know, like one o'clock tomorrow. So I, uh, I'm going up and as I told you, I don't, I don't get scared. You know, I, I look at different situations and, you know, I, I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go for it anyway, but I'm going up the elevator and I got to tell you, I mean, my mouth is getting dry and I'm thinking, what the hell are you doing? I said, this is crazy. So anyway, I get up, open it up and I don't know what it is. And I've told this story many times. There was a certain 
calmness that came over me. And I don't know if it was the guy upstairs or, or what it was, but all of a sudden, you know, the cotton mouth was gone. I was looking at, you know, the Gilda Radner pictures and the Bellucci pictures and all these things on the wall. And for some reason, there was a calmness that came over me. And I walked up just like I was walking up to a, um, you know, a Wendy's counter. And um, I asked for John Head. And sure enough, they moved me to a room. There wasn't a stage in there, but there was a platform. He came in. And I got to tell you, he couldn't have been nicer. And uh, he said, well, let's, let's see what you got. So I went through my routine and... And then I got into Jimmy Carter, right? My name is Jimmy Carter. Always tell the truth. If I'm going to tell a lie, I don't know the tooth, you know? And I had this whole, you know, deal on Jimmy Carter. And he started laughing, you know? I watched him through my routine. Um, I could tell that he genuinely liked me. I mean, he wasn't rolling in the floor, you know, a guy with his stature. He'd seen the best in the world. But I could tell he genuinely liked me. And um, when I got to... Um, uh, Jimmy Carter, he said, hey, stop. I want to uh, have a couple uh, people uh, see that routine. So they came into the room. They didn't introduce themselves. Um, but uh, in any event, I did the uh, I did my Jimmy Carter routine and they asked asked me to, you know, do the vasectomy routine, which is kind of funny. And, um, you know, they got up and left. I said, hey, that's great. Blah, 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 blah. And so he came up to me. He said, you knocked it out of the park with Carter. He said, I'll catch you around town. Let's stay in touch and, and uh, see what happens. Well, what happened was is uh, he didn't remember. I told him I was only up there for a couple of days. And I went back to Florida and got in the automobile business uh, again and was doing very, very well. Jimmy Carter became president. And... Um, Rich Little became king because he did Jimmy Carter. And yeah, um, wow. so, but, you know, you talk about persistence and I, I call that story blind persistence. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes being naive doesn't hurt you. And um, I, I know you and in, in your own life, you've probably run across people like, are they out of their mind? But right, right. just because they don't know, um, and, and don't carry with them all the negative baggage doesn't mean that, they, you know, they're not going to accomplish uh, their goal. So, oh, I love lesson. that. I love that. And, and I think that's what that's what keeps us from doing things is a lot of that negative baggage. Right. Yeah. So. Um, tell me a little bit about who's listening today. Who's your audience? My audience is an eclectic group of different people who I love helping. I have people from New York to Qatar. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I have an amazing audience and everyone's, well, I can't say every once in a while. I'm always getting questions about different things. So, yeah. Well, that, that's great. Congratulations to you and your program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's been amazing having you on, Cody. Tell, please tell people where they can find your awesome, awesome book. Well, you can find it in all bookstores, but uh, one of them ran out of the books, but um, Amazon, really. And it's, it's schmoozed what they should teach at Harvard Business School. 
And um, yeah, they can pick up a copy there. And if they've read it or when they do read it, if they could leave a nice review on uh, Amazon, I'd be tickled to death. They can uh, visit my website at mrschmooze.com. That's mrschmooze.com, not M-I-S-T-E-R, mrschmooze.com. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to maybe uh, hearing from some of them. They can email me if they like. You know, my next book is Schmoozers We Love. And we all know people in our life, and I know you do, is but that are, you know, they're schmoozers. And, and but again, that common denominator, uh, if they get in the book is, you know, how they help the little guy. So um, yeah, if somebody like to email me, it's myschmooze at gmail.com myschmooze at gmail.com and i have so enjoyed this and uh looking forward to meeting you sometime definitely so if you're in new york or i come down to florida i will definitely let you know there you go there you go so have a great weekend you too so guys i hope that you enjoyed this as much as i did And thank you again so much, Cody, for being on the show. And guys, check out his book. Check out his website. And if you need, email him. Remember, guys, no isn't always no. And we have to remember to help the little guy. So, as always, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and happy shopping. Hey, this is Chewy host of Screaming Chewy Show podcast, and you're currently listening to CQP Moments. Stay tuned.